So I come to the Gospels that teach us about the life of Christ. All four Gospels are an amazing account of the Lord Jesus Christ who came into this world, the living God. His story is about who he is and what he has come to to teach us. He has come to pry loose the fingers of resistance and to call us to himself, to trust him, to have faith, in believing that to let go is better and to embrace the glories of heaven. And so he comes to call us to faith. Please, will you let go, is the message of the gospel, to embrace eternal life. The gospel of John puts it this way. Now Jesus did many things in the gospel of John chapter 20 and verse 30 through 31 just the cause, the, the, the challenge to let go. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have eternal life in his name. It's a call to faith a call to believe, a call to let go and to embrace the truths of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So they are clearly a call to respond, a call to come, follow me. And this is where we look at the passages that remind us of him walking through, seeing a person saying, come, follow me. And the disciples dropping everything to follow Christ. No questions asked. No holding on so tightly that they won't let go. The call today is, will you come and follow Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Come is the call of the gospel. But folks, here's the reality that as we walk our way through the Gospels, it is a bitter, sweet story. A bitter, sweet story. A story of opening the hands and embracing the Gospel of Jesus Christ and a story of reluctance and resistance and ultimate rejection. And as we follow the Gospels, there's this growing Reluctance, this growing resistance that moves towards ultimate rejection. So I want to make a little theological statement. You may resist today, and then tomorrow you will reject Jesus Christ. You're maybe just not ready to let go. But if you hold on so tightly, you will eventually turn your back on the glories of God and the glories of heaven and the majesty of Christ to embrace with all your might the things of this world. So the resistance grows. 
And it comes to a point where Jesus now has to speak to the crowds and speak to the people about this resistance, or shall I say this reluctance, that becomes a rejection. The tragedy of the Gospels is when it comes to the place where a finger needs to be pointed and said, you no longer want Christ, you have rejected him and here is the truth. Then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Matthew 11 verse 20. And then in verse 24, verse 24 of chapter 11 it says, but I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. Grievous, grave realities. And verse, chapter 12 and verse 14 comes to that place where the resistance becomes hostile rejection. Verse 14, but the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. Tragic place to be. The parables that Christ teaches in Matthew 13, the mystery form of the kingdom, is a realization of the gospel's call to come and to follow Christ. Behold, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Is what John the Baptist taught. It's what Jesus taught. And in some ways, this kingdom of heaven would come. We go to the Old Testament and we read and we're kind of hopeful of Jesus sitting on the throne of David and setting up his kingdom. And the lion will lie down with the lamb. And, and what a wonderful, glorious, victorious state of affairs. And they went out to conspire how they might kill him. And we come to this place where we begin to see that Jesus is not going to set up his glorious final, um, glorious kingdom. But there's going to be things that are going to go on for a while where Christ is very definitely king. Christ is very definitely ruling and reigning. And the call is still to come but not to suddenly go into this glorious kingdom with no sin, no pain, no suffering, Christ on the throne. There's a period of time between this rejection of Christ and his second coming when he will set up this amazing and glorious kingdom. There's a period of time where we are still in this stage where you and I are invited to respond. Some will accept and some will reject. Some will let go and enjoy the relationship with Christ the King and his glorious reign in their lives. So this period is a time of acceptance and rejection. This room today is in that period of time. In that age, where some will accept and some will resist and reject. And some are definitely still holding on and pray God will pry their hands loose so that they can come to Christ. The question you need to ask yourself today is which 
side of the fence are you sitting on? By God's grace will I be able to help and pry your fingers loose and ask you to let go and trust in Jesus Christ. Or will you just continue to resist? Today's passage is clearly about this time where Jesus is calling us to respond positively. He says, first of all, I want you to know that there is this lesson that within this period of time, I'm offering you blessing. I'm offering you something glorious when he says, and he answered them and he says to you, in chapter 13, verse 11, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them, them, it has not been given. Or, to expose during this time the heart of reluctance and rebellion, to know that God will come and there will be a time of judgment because of the time of rejection. So Jesus then says, it is also a time in verse 13 of chapter 13, this is why I speak to them in parables. Now folks, you're going to hear parables today that will just go and have no value The parables will cause you to stand back and say, not interested. It will reveal a hard heart. But it will also reveal a time of God's judgment because of that resistance and reluctance. Or, to those who have ears to hear, they will hear and they'll let go and come to Jesus Christ. So, we can't, we want to encourage you by seeing in the Gospels the call of embracing, come unto me. We want you to hear that if you continue to resist, God will reject and God will judge. So, do you have ears to hear? This is why I speak to them in parables, Jesus said, in 13.13, listen to these horrific words. Not only want you to listen to the horrors of these realities, but I want to repeat a phrase that is found repeated over and over and over and over within the context of our text. And in Matthew 13, the Method or the message of hearing, listening, or not. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, you will indeed hear but never understand. You will indeed hold on, but never let go. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn 
and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear. This is all about seeing and perceiving, listening and hearing. It's all about response. Decision to come to Christ or not. As we look back at history, we make such a fatal mistake. We come to church and we listen to the word of God and we listen to preachers. And we take it as if it's just the story about history. And you and I have come to the show as spectators to listen and to hear and to be stirred a little bit with our emotions at this story of once upon a time long, long ago. My friends, that is such a dangerous method of coming to understand why we come to church and why we read the Word of God. Because the Gospels are not just the story about Jesus once upon a time. But the stories and the parables here are to remind us that it is speaking to us today to invite us into the story. You and I might as well understand that in God's view we are there making decisions that the disciples made, making decisions that the hard-hearted, reluctant resistors did. We are there and we too must make our decisions and decide where we will come. So in verse 9, who has ears, let him hear. Verse 13, seeing they do not see, hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Verse 15, with the ears they can barely hear, and the eyes they have closed. Seeing with the, are they, that they should see with the eyes and hear with the ears, and understand with their hearts. Verse 16, your eyes for they see, and your ears for they hear, seeing and hearing over and over and over. See what you see and do not see what you can't see. Hear then the parables and listen. Okay, so there's my invitation. There's the invitation of the gospel calling you to to decision, calling you to respond. Are you interested to know what the very first parable of Matthew 13 is? Any idea, just sort of without glancing down? The very first parable is about the sower and the seed. Interesting, don't you think? Because it's the sower and the seed where the gospel and the truth and the message of the ministry and the kingdom, all of God's truths are sown like seeds on the lives of individuals. And there are varied responses to that message. If I was going to spend more time on trying to unravel this parable, I would highlight very, very clearly that 95% of the story is about wholehearted rejection, partial rejection, compromise situation, part-believing And one, 
of full, open-hearted acceptance of the gospel. So in this parable, I'm not going to read it for the sake of time, but the sower sows his seed, some on the path. And I want you now to identify, but I want you to understand that most of you will identify in part, bits and pieces, different responses, but still resistant or reluctant or rejection. So the seed gets sown on the path and Christ explains that parable and says "But that this is like the seed that is on the path that is um, sown on the ground. They hear it. Satan comes along and snatches it away. And that is true for some of us. Tragically, there is no true enjoyment of the truths of the gospel. Some of the seed falls on rocky ground. They receive it with joy. Have you ever, I mean, those are wonderful professions. I just, I just love Jesus today. And then the troubles of life come and they quickly fall away. It's kind of the guy who lets go, steps up and then quickly grabs on again and says, I'm done. Turns around and goes home. Then there's the one where the seed is thrown among the thorns and the worries of life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it out. So far, there has not been one sowing that has borne any fruit. Tragically, during this period of time, and even in the church, we have different people who respond partially, kind of, for a little while, but ultimately, they have not embraced. There's one. Thank God for this one. The seed that fell on good soil. They hear, they understand, and they bear fruit. You have to, you have to see that this is such a powerful impact on your response, on your decision to let go and believe and to trust in Jesus Christ. For salvation. And some of you are still hanging on. Some of you are still hanging on. Some have walked away and come to the edge and then turned back. Today, I want to take out my passage and talk to you about how the horrors of hell and the glories of heaven are parables that Christ taught to pry loose our reluctance to embrace the truth and the glories of heaven. So in all of these parables, there's this, what I call a four-parable set, four parables that must be held together And we can go through all of them individually and we will to some extent with our time. 
But I want you to see them as a unit of information. A four-parable set. Put it all together and your mind just goes, at the truth. Two bookends. You know what bookends are? They're on either side of a bookshelf, designed as outside information, holding together what is in the middle. Two negative parables speaking about the horrors of hell outside, not as the primary goal, but to divert our attention to what is between the bookends. And that is the parables, two parables. The two parables that bring about the glory of Christ. So let me just mention them. On this parable, we have a parable about the wheat and the weeds. And hell. On this side, we have parables about fish. Good fish and bad fish. And the story of hell. And inside, we have two parables of the pearl of great price and the treasure. I want you to have the treasure, but I want you to see how hell drives you and diverts you from the things of this world and pries loose the wasted life to embrace and plunge into eternal life. The two deter you from the horrors of judgment and two attract you to the glories of Christ. So, let's just look at these two parables with the time. Matthew 13, verse 36 through 43. Try and understand in your mind as you read. Each parable then has a primary focal point. And the whole parable has a focal point of moving you to the glories of Christ. But let's just stay with this parable and ask ourselves, what is the focal point of this first bookend? The parable of the weeds. And I'll explain, just to explain it. Then he left the crowds and went into the house and his disciples came to him saying, explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed is good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the ones, like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. By now you should be saying, heard that, get that, I get it, move on. So the sons, the son of man, Christ who sows into the world. The devil also sows into the world. 
And together we have these two in the world, in the church, all around us, wheat and weeds, together. The weeds, as we look at the word in the Greek and try and come to grips with that, it is a obnoxious, troublesome weed that looks very much like the wheat. And so now you can go in and you can try and say, which one, which one, take this one, oh, that, oh sorry, I messed up, I pulled the wrong one. How do we deal with this? Well, they grow alongside, the parable says, until the harvest. Until the harvest. Folks, and now I want to stop here and go to the other parable because it tells exactly the same story. But you've got to ask yourself, why tell two stories that actually, if you unravel them, are no different? Wheat, weeds, and a punchline. Then we have fish, good fish, bad fish, and a punchline. I think it's for effect. Weeds and wheat and good fish and bad fish, just to get your mind around the reality that they speak essentially of um, those who are accepted and those who are rejected, those who have trusted and those who don't. Different analogy, wheat and weeds, fish. Both have the same punchline. And that's what we've got to see in both of these. This brings it together and says, this is the punchline. At the end of the age, the angels will come. And if you thought that the weeds and the wheat were growing together and that both might per accident enter into the kingdom of God, at the end of the age, God will separate. The weeds and the bad fish will not be brought into the kingdom of heaven. The punchline of both parables on the, on the bookends is simply this. Rejectors will be pulled up. Have you ever been in a field and pulled up something, just grab it by its neck and rip it up and out comes this big bundle of sand, all the roots, everything just pulls out. Pulled out, ripped out, if you want to call it that. Not a very pleasant picture. But we're not done. Everyone, every last weed, everyone that sins and does evil will be ripped up. I'm not finished. They will be cast into a fiery furnace I'm still not finished. Stay with the punchline. There will be weeping. Great grief of heart. And gnashing of teeth. As you grapple with the pain. And the sufferings. Of hell. This is not an exaggeration. For effect. The fiery furnace. Hell, the lake of fire, are not extreme terms of disfavor. They are realities of God's judgment. That's the punchline of the two bookend parables. 
Now I want you to stand back and I want these parables in all of their horror to divert your attention, to cause you to start thinking about the realities of judgment, to help you to pry loose and say you must pry loose because if you don't, the consequences are far too severe. Hell, fiery furnace, judgment. They cause and they're God's method of luring you to pull you away before the end of the age. And if that doesn't do it for you, and maybe now with that horror before you, it's time to say, well, then let's look at the parable of the pearl and the treasure. And again, the punchline is the horrors of hell so that you could be in revulsion, run away to the parables that cause and ignite, the bad parables to ignite a spark of passion for Christ. And then two parables that like the centerpiece attract you to the good God has not purposed in this world to talk about hell because he wants to judge and throw people into hell. He speaks about hell so the people would run away from hell and come to this place. And the centerpiece is the parable of the treasure and the parable of the pearl. Listen to them. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys the field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. So now we come after being pride loose from the horrors of hell or by the horrors of hell to the centerpiece to respond in faith and say, what kind of person are you now? I'm asking you to take the plunge. I'm asking you to trust Christ by faith. Will you come? What will be your response? And there are two principles in these two parables because they both say the same thing, slightly different, so that you hear it from two sides But again, the principal function of these two parables is this. Do you value? Now, I want you to go back to the ledge. Do you value staying with the world and hanging on for dear life to your wealth and all the things that you prefer as priorities in your life? Or will you let go and see the value of the kingdom of heaven, the things of God, in contrast to the things of the world. Will you consider the value of Christ? Will you consider the value of heaven and the kingdom of God? And then I want to ask you, when we look secondly, very quickly, at the principle of sacrifice, Will you let go? Will you be willing to give up everything that is behind this grasp? 
Will you give up everything to plunge into the glories of Christ? Maybe. Maybe not. Maybe today. Maybe tomorrow. Perhaps never. But we have a treasure that speaks about eternal life, speaks of Christ, speaks of the kingdom, and relates it to you. Let the horrors divert your attention and bring you to Christ so that you can see the fine pearl. You see, now we're talking value. Because you've got to decide whether heaven is better than the world. Yes or no? Well, that's an obvious question, really. Then why do so many people hang on to the pole? Because they don't believe that the kingdom of heaven is of that much value. Our world tells us we're going to be like these little angels with little bows and arrows sitting on clouds. And who knows what we're going to do in heaven anyway. I mean, seriously? For eternity, I mean, honestly, I, you know, I'd rather just be out there doing what I understand in the world. No. The kingdom of heaven, Christ, the glories to come are a fine pearl of great value, quite a strong emphasis. The word treasure speaks about value, high regard, priceless, important. Something that is more important than anything else. Very quickly, two parables outside of this set should quickly come to mind. Just in case you were thinking not to embrace the pearl of great price. Just in case you're not thinking about embracing the treasures of Christ and kingdom and eternity. Just in case. Who can remember the parable of the rich fool? You remember that parable, don't you? The guy stood back and said, I looked at life, I looked at my gains, I looked at my barns, and I looked at my wheat and my harvest, and I looked and I said to my soul, Ah, look at all the things you've got. I don't have barns enough to build and and to place. I'm going to build myself a whole lot of new barns. And I'm going to put everything into the barns and I'm going to stand back and look at my own accomplishments and I'm holding on to the world because behind in the world I've got so much. And I said to my soul, there's plenty for you here. You are satisfied. You're going to have a great life. And God says to that rich fool, you talk to your soul, but let me tell you something. Today your soul will be required of you. The day will come for every single one of us, when our soul will be required of us. And we will decide, and our eternity will be based on the choice that we make. So why should you let go? Because the glories and the bonds and the wealth and the riches that you think you have, they pale in comparison to the glories of Christ. The problem is people do not see the value and the glories of Christ enough. The rich young fool, what must I do to get into the kingdom of heaven? Keep the law. Oh, but I do that. All right, 
let's get to the heart of this, Christ says, then go sell all that you have and give it to the poor. Oh, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. Now, I, you know, I kind of am half there and half not, and I'm, I'm happy to do much, but sell all that I have and follow you? Can't do that. Sacrifice is the other principle. If you see the value, if you can't see the value, I don't know, you hear, you listen, you decide. Um, we'll see what God does with that. The principle of sacrifice is the last point that I make. Are you willing to just let go and give up everything because you see that there is nothing more precious? And so the parables that we left, read about here speak about great sacrifice, giving up everything. My friends, giving up everything to follow Christ Do you really think that that's such a big ask? Some of you might say, well, of course. And especially for those of us that have so much. So much health, so much wealth, so much fame. You know, there's so much to give up. Will you be prepared to sacrifice? I want to ask you, if you had everything that this world could offer you, Is it more precious than giving up the kingdom of heaven? And in this world, people are saying, well, yes. I don't want the kingdom of heaven. I've got too much on this side of heaven. But if you think, if you can just hear, listen, to sacrifice everything that this world has to offer pales That sacrifice pales in comparison in the rewards of eternity in heaven. So it's not even a sacrifice, is it? But for some of us sitting here today and in our world, it's too much of a sacrifice to ask. When Christ says, come, we say no thanks. When we look at our fame and our fortune and our hopes of this world, we say no thanks. And these parables say, look at hell and let it ignite a passion for Christ. Look at the value of the kingdom of heaven and of Christ. And there's nothing that is more precious than heaven in eternity. So why won't you let go and come and trust Christ? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, as we bow before you this morning in prayer with hearts that are exposed to you and nothing can be hidden for you know all things and nothing can escape the sovereignty of our God. And you are very clearly understand and know the heart of man today. Oh Lord, in your wisdom and in your sovereignty, there comes a time when you have every right to harden hearts because hearts are hardened. 
But Lord, in an attractive way, you are luring and drawing and encouraging us to see the glories of Christ, to see the glories of heaven and eternal life. And then we must hear and we must respond. So help us, Lord, to let go with hearts filled with faith and trust to surrender our hearts to you. Help us, Lord, to see. Help us, Lord, to listen and hear and come to you and forsake all else for the sake of walking with you. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Folks, as we wrap up here today, I must ask you, if you're confused about your salvation, confused about your choices, if you've made some sort of profession and confession, and you're not sure, the parables that I've shared with you today in the gospel, it can't just be left there. You need to respond. There are many people in this church that you probably know. We've got elders and deacons walking amongst you. Go to them and say, I want to know how. Would you help me pry loose my fingers of unbelief and come and entrust my life wholeheartedly to the Lord Jesus Christ? How do I do that? Speak to someone and don't walk away and think that everything's going to be all right. So please, I encourage you and I challenge you to do that. Thank you. God bless. Have a good day. I think we're going to stay behind and just have some fellowship. And then uh, our uh, seminary time, uh, just a bit later, you'll hear the bells or somebody will call you. Thank you.